Y'all know Philip. Blame his mama, okay? Now we're very proud of Philip. Very proud of the, the last time I was here, we were up here, I was up here and I was doing a wedding ceremony. Very proud of the young lady that God has brought into his life. Very proud of the man that he's become. A very proud peepaw of Jensen Lynn. What can we say about her? But look out, world. <laughs> look out, world. You know, for them to be able to get up and share scripture and to pray, that's what we're looking at this morning. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I have got to introduce my, my, my wife of 38 years. I, you know, if, I, if I don't do that, I'll be in trouble. And then I have to say something about my beautiful daughter. Also, I've got Brenda, my wife. Raise your hand. I've got Casey, my daughter, who said you're absolutely not to call me out this morning. But isn't it just the joy of your life when you get to embarrass your kids once in a while? <laughs> Amen. Why do I do this? This was never my plan. <laughs> if I give you my testimony this morning, I, I, I never planned on being a preacher. My wife, years ago, would even say, I did not marry a preacher. Well, God had other plans, did he not? I grew up in a mission. I grew up doing music. I grew up playing a piano. I grew up with a children's work, child evangelism. And I loved it. Why am I doing this? Because of what we sang this morning. I love to tell the story. I love to tell people about Jesus. And that's what I did. I grew up in a little mission church. I've got into my high school years and I got into college and I got away from all the joys of that fellowship. God never let me go. I always had that instinct, I always had that, that pull, but I blocked it, and I moved, and I, and I, and I ignored the, the, the drawing of God on my life. Well, I got married. Philip was three months old, and we suffered a fire that took everything that we had except the clothes that were on our backs. Well, it made me mad till all of a sudden it hit me. God shook me. And he said, what you lost was nothing. You have everything. You've got a beautiful family. But more important than that, you've got a great relationship with me that you've been turning your back on. And folks, I'm here today because God spoke to me in a fire. The next passage I had written down here, I told Aubrey, I said, I kind of preached this sermon. I, this was a discussion that I had, and, and we were talking about Elijah. And, and, and you remember what happened to Elijah over there at 1 Kings chapter number 9? And he had, over there at Mount Carmel, he had a great battle that he won. He confronted all those prophets of Baal. He, he, and, and he... He called down fire and burned up the sacrifice. Then he slew 450 prophets of Baal. And they brought the rain that they were looking for. <laughs> and then he ran back to the city 
And he got a word from old Jezebel that said what? By this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as those prophets. And it scared him to the point that he ran. And the next thing we see in 1 Kings 19, he's up on a mount hiding in a cave. And that passage of scripture tells us that there was a great wind that came by, but God wasn't in the wind. Shook the mountain, broke the rocks. There was a great earthquake that shook the whole mount, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. How did God talk to Elijah? In a still, small voice. Because Elijah's up here hiding in a cave, having his own pity party, and that's the only way that he was going to hear from God. But I got news for you. God could have spoke in that wind. And God could have spoke in that earthquake. And God could have spoke in that fire. And that's what I was telling this Bible study I was having. And this lady said, I, I said, that's where I was. I got God's message in a fire. And she said, I don't believe God can speak in a fire. And I said, well, when you get to heaven, you go talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you have a discussion with them. <laughs> and see if God can't speak in a fire. Amen? So I got to look at the passage of Scripture. What, what, how can God speak to someone who is running from Him, who has put up that wall, who doesn't want to hear from God, but God can still get their attention, and how does He do that? Great question. <laughs> I had three or four or five points, and usually by the time I get started on this, I'll hit one point. Like an old professor told me in college, we were having a class on... I don't remember, it was a preaching class, preaching course, and, and one of the guys back there said, he was kind of a smart like professor, and he, he shook, held up his hand and said, Preacher, teacher, how, how many points should we have in a sermon? He looked, he said, at least one. <laughs> so I want you to turn to Psalm 19. If you got your Bible with you this morning, Psalm number 19, and I want you to look there at verse 1 down through verse number 3. And hold your spot there, because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. You see, after we looked at Elijah and look at his story, we're going to jump ahead 250 years. And in 250 years, we got the nation of Judah. The nation of Israel is gone. And Judah's there, and they got a godless king by the name of Zedekiah. The last several kings of the nation of Judah were godless. And that's amazing to me, because where was the Messiah going to come from? He was going to come from the tribe of Judah, right? So you've got these kings that are taking this whole nation in the wrong direction. And one of them, the last one of the group is named Zedekiah, and he has gotten so mad at Jeremiah, he put him in prison. Now he's got old Nebuchadnezzar knocking on the gate of the, of the city, and he gets scared, and in the middle of the night, he goes over and he brings Jeremiah over, and he asks Jeremiah a question, and his question is this, is there any word from the Lord? Now if he would have been the right kind of man, he could have gone to the Lord, but he wasn't. <laughs> and what did Jeremiah tell him? Yes, there is. If you ask that question this morning, is there any word from the Lord? I want to tell you, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Why wasn't Zedekiah hearing from the Lord? Why is it that, that the, 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 the world is rejecting and refusing to hear the word of the Lord? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says there, 
that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now listen to that. The natural man. What is the natural man? The lost man. The man that has no relationship with Jesus Christ. The man of the world that can only hear what? He can only hear from the world. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. And they're even foolishness to him. Now I got a great illustration for that. How many of you, I'm going to date myself a little bit this morning. How many of you grew up with a television antenna out there that was this weird-looking aluminum thing that had points all over it, and you, and, and, it, and you had to have somebody standing by the TV, and somebody had to go outside, and they had to keep turning that pole till you got a good reception, right? And you're hollering out the window, you know, right there, there it is. That's the natural man. He's got this weird-looking antenna, but it only receives what? It only receives earthly signals. <laughs> well, how about today? What do you got today? You see, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ, from that moment on, you receive a new antenna. And now what do you have on that roof? You got this other strange looking thing, they call it a dish, and you're receiving channels that you never knew existed. Why? Because they're coming from the heavens. Amen? <laughs> and guess what? Now, with your relationship with Jesus Christ, and God has given you a new antenna, you can tune right into the Trinity channel, amen? Because you have got a way. That old earthly man, he doesn't receive anything but what? Earthly signals. The Christian man, the woman, boy, girl, they're receiving heavenly signals, amen? Now look at Psalm chapter number 19. Psalm chapter number 19. We see God here speaking through creation. He says, the heavens, declare, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Now, what, is that, what do those verses tell us? Folks, there's no one anywhere, any place, at any time that, are, that is incapable of what? Uncapable of knowing the Lord, amen? Uncapable of getting those signals because God has revealed it. Over, in, over in, in the book of Romans, Paul even tells us that, referring to this verse, he says, in this creation, that it, it is, the world is clearly seen by those and you are absolutely without excuse. You can know the Lord. You can know there is that something past this beautiful creator that we have. We know that we have a God that wants to have a relationship, a fellowship with us, and you can see it in his creation. <laughs> you see, we live on this big blue ball, if you want to just, if you want to look at space, and, and it sits on an axis, and it's pointed over here, angled at a 23 degree, and, and every day God speaks, every night God speaks, in every language God speaks, in every ethnic group God speaks, God makes himself known. All you have to do is look at it with sincere honesty. Now let me date myself again. Y'all remember the, space to, the, the race to space? Remember the cosmonauts? Remember... In 1961, the first man in space was Yuri something from the Soviet Union. And oh wow, he made one resolution of the earth. One time. 
And he came back in a typical Soviet style, and he steps out of that capsule, this cosmonaut all decked, out, decked up, and he steps out and he says, I was up there in the heavens and I saw no God. <laughs> Pastor up in, in, in Dallas that next Sunday had that clipping out of the paper, and he was holding it up. He said, look at this cosmonaut. He said, I, go, I was up in the heavens and I saw no God. And he said, if he'd unzipped that spacesuit, he saw God. <laughs> God makes himself known, folks. If you're running from God, if you just take a look at creation, you can know God, amen? You can know God. Turn over to Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter 2. Now, this one's a biggie. Because when you look at Romans chapter number 2 and look at verse number 13 and verse number 15, you're going to see two world philosophies clash right here. God speaks in the human conscience. God speaks in the human conscience. There in Romans chapter number 2, look at verse 15. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Verse 15. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Their conscience bearing witness. Do, do you realize in, 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 in your life, in my life, I, we, we've got some verses that we go in. And everybody, everybody usually, will, one of the first verses they memorize is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. But they skip verse number 10. What is verse number 10? Verse number 10 says, for you are his workmanship. And that word workmanship in the Greek is our word poema. And the word poema comes into, into English by what? A poem. You are his workmanship. You are the, a poem being written by the very hand of God. That is your life. <laughs> when I look at this, this conscience and, and how we were created and how we were made, over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says, let us make man in our image. So what is this saying? This is saying to us that every person, no matter how callous they may be, no matter hard-hearted, hard no matter how warped they may be, they are created in the image, with the image of God imprinted on their soul. So now where's the clash come in? Everybody remember a man fellow by the name of Darwin? In this stupid theology that the world wants. It takes more faith to believe that than it believes to believe creation, doesn't it? You see, when we, when we take this theory that Darwin had, what was his theory? His theory was, from goo to you by the way of the zoo. You're here by accident. His theory is that, that, that you can have, without being evolved, that you cannot have a true spiritual capability, a true moral capability. Well, who picked up on that? Well, we, we, all you have to do is look over there at, the, at, at Karl Marx and the communists and the socialists and all these systems. They're very atheistic, folks, and they are very, they are very opposing to Christianity. Hello, America. You better pay attention. All this stuff that we see now and all this philosophy and how good socialism, folks, socialism is a system that is absolutely without God. 
without God. <laughs> That's why I, I told my wife I wouldn't get on politics this morning, but it's hard not to, brother. When we look at America today, and we look at the direction that we're heading, it ought to break everybody's heart. It ought to put you on your knees, amen? Because we are, what does Paul tell us in Ephesians? We are, we are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. But you see, the problem is this Darwin theory, it can never be proved. It can never be proved. Matter of fact, it gets disproved on a regular basis. I could give you a lot of illustrations on that, but I, again, I want to... You ladies, y'all know who Elizabeth Elliot is, right? All the material, that, the study materials that, that, that came out. What was, her, what, was her, what was her testimony? She was married to Jim and Jim Elliott in 1956. He was in Ecuador, and he was with four other missionaries in Ecuador, and they were over there evangelizing the Alka Indians tribe, and they were run through with a spear. And kill. I, one of the one of the, 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 the great things, and we read some of the letters that, that Jim wrote to Elizabeth, and one of the things he said in that letter is, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What are you giving up? I'm giving up this, amen, because I can't keep it. Oh my gosh. It, 64 years old. How did I get here? Amen. How much longer do I have? I don't know. That's in God's hands. But I can't keep it. But you know what I got that I can't lose? His eternal life. Amen? I got an eternal life in Christ Jesus. And folks, there ain't nothing can take that away. <laughs> nothing. So Jim Elliott and these missionaries over here evangelizing these, this Indian tribe, they're run through with the spear. <laughs> there was a movie made of it. It was called The End of the Spear. Well, they were beyond help, right? Those Indian tribes, they, they had no moral capability. Well, that's not what Elizabeth Elliot thought. And the widows of those missionaries, those widows went over there and evangelized and took up the work of their husbands, and they led that, that tribe to the Lord, amen? Why? Because they are not past help. They all, every individual has that moral capability because you've got the very image of God imprinted on your soul. That's the way you come into this world. The presence of God can be found in the moral conscience of all men. Now there's some people, it's true, it's hard to find. But it's there. Turn over with me to Matthew. Let me ask you a question. Does God speak in history? You better believe he speaks in history. Go over there and look with me in the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to look at chapter number 23. Chapter number 23 of Matthew. Verse 37. When I read these verses and I, and I think about Jesus, as the brother brought out this morning talking about what Jesus did for us. When you study his life, it's an amazing thing. And this, this is one of the last conversations that he's going to have with these disciples. And, 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 and he tells them here, and I fully believe they're sitting up there on the Mount of Olives. 
He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, they thou that killest the prophets and stonest them who are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered my children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, as ye and you would not. Now, way back there, Moses in, the, in, in Leviticus said what? God is going to put before you what? A blessing and a curse. A bliss, blessing if you're obedient and a curse if you are not. So what has happened to the nation of Israel here? They have rejected God. And Jesus said, I would have gathered you up like a hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. And look at verse 30, 38. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Well, I want you to know something. I love to study the life of Christ, and, and, and you think about that Palm Sunday, that Sunday b b before the, the resurrection morning, and he's coming up on that, on that eastern hill called the, the Mount of Olives, and he comes up through Bethany, and he comes up through Bethpage, and he comes up, and about that time he, he reaches the top of that Mount of Olives, and that sun's coming up behind him, and as it comes up, he's looking over through that eastern gate. You go down through the Kidron Valley and come up to that eastern gate, and he's looking at that beautiful city and that beautiful temple of Jerusalem, all gold inlaid, and that sun's hitting it, it's just bright, and it's beautiful, and it's beautiful. I want you to look across the page here, in chapter 24, verse number 2, he says, Jesus said, see ye not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another, they're all going to be thrown down. Now it's amazing when you study. Jesus made that trip many a time because he had the friends, Lazarus, they, they lived over there in Bethany and, and in Bethpage and he made that trip many a time over in the city of Jerusalem, came through that eastern gate and, and we're going to see him do that again, amen? When he comes again the second time, he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to go right into that eastern gate, folks, and the battle is going to be on. <laughs> but you and I are going to be watching it because we're going to be spectators. But as we see Jesus that Palm Sunday and he's coming down and for the first time in the life of Christ the anointed one of God he is allowing himself to be proclaimed the king of kings and the lord of lords if you remember before that anytime he would do anything he'd tell the disciples what don't tell anybody Keep this to yourself. The time is coming. Well, this is the day. The day, Palm Sunday, is, is, is what? It is the end of the 69th year of Daniel. It is the, the, the time when the Messiah was going to be presented and be cut off. And he comes down and they're proclaiming him, Hosanna. And, and, and he comes in. And, and, and we know that because those high-hat Pharisees, they met him down there just before he got in the city. And what did the Pharisees tell him? Tell your disciples to be quiet. We don't need to be hearing all this. You don't need to be allowing them to proclaim you the king of kings. And what did Jesus say? If they hold their peace, the rocks are going to cry out. Why? Because God's prophetic clock had struck. And it was time for his son to be presented. And like Daniel tells us, cut off. And he was. As the brothers talked about this morning, he was crucified on an old rugged cross. But glory to God on the third day, he was just a borrowed tomb that he was in. And he came forth. And we see here in these verses that beautiful temple that Herod had built. It was absolutely gold inlaid. And it was beautiful. But Jesus tells them what? This thing is going to be laid flat. 
We can go over there and we look at Josephus. What happened in 70 AD? In 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army got tired of all the shenanigans that was taking place over here in Jerusalem. And he sent the army over and they leveled the city. Everything went down but that wailing wall. And it says, every stone was removed from his place. Why would they do that? <laughs> Josephus tells us, because of all the gold inlay in that temple, it was, just, it was just a beautiful, beautiful place. But when they set fire to it, all that gold started melting down and falling down between the rocks. And these greedy Roman soldiers, what were they doing? They were digging in there getting it out, amen? So what Jesus says here took, ab took place absolutely as Jesus said it would happen. Well, what happened in 70 A.D.? We have no more nation. We got a nation called Israel that no longer has a homeland. <laughs> Was that the end of the nation of Israel? What happened in 1948? <laughs> May. In 1948, the 16th. Unprecedented in the history of the world, a nation did not have a homeland for 1900 years and all of a sudden what? They are a nation again with a homeland. How does that happen? That happens because Genesis 12 and verse number 2, God gave Abram a promise. He said, I'm going to give you, I promise you a seed and I promise you a land and that land belongs to them. Amen? And it still belongs to them. And when there's no one that is ever going to take that away from them. Though they've tried. <laughs> We've had some of the, it wasn't Netanyahu, but whoever that, that prime minister was before was going to trade land for peace. And what happened to him? He had a stroke. <laughs> that, is the, that land belongs to the nation. It is God's gift to his chosen people for 1,900 years. How did they come out of that? The brother brought it out this morning. They had a mandate that they celebrated Passover every year. And they taught their children every year that they had on their wrist, they had a thing called a phylactery. And it had the Shema in it. It had the passages of Scripture in there. And they would recite them every day. And they had the mezuzah on the doorpost of the house. Every time they went out of the, in the house or out of the house, they would touch that and they would recite Scripture. And they would teach it to the children. I love it up here when you see these kids come up here. Because, folks, if we don't teach it to them, we're, we're one nation from being absolutely an idolatrous nation because we're moving that way, America. <laughs> we're moving that way. You know, I said a while ago that Christianity and socialism doesn't, doesn't fit together at all. Yet we see a whole political party taken under God out of the pledge. How close are we getting? Church, you better wake up. You better wake up. Because Nebuchadnezzar's at the doorpost, amen? And we're close. God speaks in history. But God always, always, always has a remnant always has a voice, always has someone who will speak for him. 
there's always going to be a remnant. That's why the nation of Israel came back into being. Because God had those who were faithful to his word. One of my favorite Old Testament books is Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk's praying to the Lord, Lord, why, are you li- why, why won't you hear my prayer? Why are you letting all these injustices go in, in the nation of Judah? He was a contemporary of Jeremiah early on, and he said, why are you allowing this to happen? And God answered him, he said, what? He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but you're not going to believe it. Well, what is it? I'm going to let the Chaldeans come in and judge the nation. Oh, you're not going to do that, Habakkuk said. How can you let that wicked, sinful nation come in and, 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 and judge those who are more just than they are? Well, what was the message to Habakkuk? The message to Habakkuk came over into our New Testament three times, and it was chapter 2, verse number 4, and it said, I want you to write it real big so everybody as they're running, they can read this, and the words were, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul brought it over. We've got it three times in the New Testament. And guess where it went from there? <laughs> when we study that New Testament, we study the, the history of, of, of Paul and we see the, the influence of his epistles that he wrote. 1,500 years after Paul, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther, a monk. And he was tired of empty religion. And he was reading Romans. And guess what he read in Romans? The just shall live by their faith. (laughs) Folks, that's the theme of the whole Bible. And Martin took those words and he wrote 95 Theses and he he pinned it on the the door of the the church and guess what happened to that? We got a revolt and a revolution that's going to take place. And we got the Protestant Reformation. And now we have Bibles that people can actually take home and read. I know I'm out of time. I ain't there yet, but I'm out of time. Let me give you one more. What are we going to celebrate this week? What are we celebrating this week? Thanksgiving. Guess what? Where do you think the creation of America came from? A faithful remnant. A faithful remnant. What do you call them? Well, you can call them what you want. They were, they were Puritans or, or they were pilgrims or they were Quakers. Whatever you want to call them, they came to a new world. Why? Because religion and the world of their day had become very stale and very stagnant and very hopeless and very political. And you had state churches and you had unbiblical orthodoxy and they couldn't worship the way the Bible told them to worship. So what did they do? They came to the new world and guess what? If you read history before they start revising it, they came for Religious freedom. (laughs) Religious freedom. They wanted biblical homes and they wanted biblical schools and they wanted biblical churches that they could worship the way the Bible says to worship. And America became the greatest missionary country of the world. There's no other country that sends out more foreign missionaries than, than America because that's where we started. All right, I've got to quit, but I want to give you one more thing. I want you to turn to Revelation. And I just want to, I, I want you to look at 
the last couple of verses of Revelation chapter number 3. And turn over to look at Revelation 4. Look at Revelation 4. Look at the first words of Revelation 4, chapter num uh, verse number 1. It says, metatata. That's the Greek for those words that are there. It says, after these things. After these things. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, folks, is the rapture of the church. That's when they're calling away. That's when we're, 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 we're going to be leaving out of here. Amen? And if you'll turn back, after what things? What is chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation? Folks, that's the churches. That's seven churches. That if, if in, in, in apocalyptic literature, number 7 means completion. That is the completion of the church. And, and, and when we see here and we see the, 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 if you're dispensationalist and you look at it and you see number 7 is the last church and the last church is Laodicea and Laodicea had a problem. Well, what was that? What was the words that Jesus had against the church of Laodicea. He said, you're lukewarm. Folks, I, I, I tell you what, that's pretty, that's pretty evident in the churches in America today. We're lukewarm, amen? He said, I would rather you be hot or cold, but you're not. You're lukewarm. So how does God speak to a church that is lukewarm? Look at chapter number 3 and look at verse number 20. And he says there, behold, pay attention, look. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. What does that mean? Folks, he's talking to the church. Behold. If you've ever seen the, the portrait of this, there is a picture that has been drawn of this. And it is a, there's a man standing there at an old cottage, an old cabin, and there there's the door and it's dimly lit. And the amazing thing about this door, there's no handle on the outside. There's only a handle on the inside. Why? Because only you can open the door to your heart to Christ. He will never kick it in. <laughs> and Jesus said, if you will open the door, I'm going to do what? He said, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to bring you exactly what Scripture tells you I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring you joy. I want you to be joyful. I'm going to bring healing to whatever you need. I'm going to bring the abundant life. Jesus said, I came that I may bring them what? Life more abundant. <laughs> abundant life. Folks, that's the most precious invitation that you're ever going to find in Scripture. Jesus standing on the outside knocking saying, if you will just open, I will come in. Let me close with this. Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, loved to go to a little church just down from the White House and Dr. Gurley was there and, and Dr. Gurley would let Abraham Lincoln come in and sit in the study while he preached a sermon, he'd leave the door open where he could hear. <laughs> well, one night Abraham Lincoln was walking back with his aide back to the White House, and he was unusually quiet. And the aide said, what do you think about that sermon? He said, well, I thought it was very biblical. I thought it was well thought out. He said, I thought it was well presented. And the aide said, well, you liked the sermon? He said, no, I didn't like the sermon. He failed. Well, how did he fail? He failed because he didn't challenge us to do something great. 
Let me tell you this morning, I'm going to challenge you to do something great. Wives and husbands, you know, you've always heard that old saying, I, I don't know how many times I heard it in school, maybe it's because I like to talk a lot. You got one mouth and two ears, you need to be listening twice as much as you speak. Husbands and wives, pray together. Four ears are better than two. When I take the time to spend quiet with that one back there, I learn a whole lot because God speaks to her too. Husbands and wives, take the time to pray together. And number two, take the time to pray with your kids. This is amazing up here when you bring them up here. It's amazing that we're Jensenette. What was your verse, Jensen? Trust, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your, underst on your own understanding, but on all your ways acknowledge him. Amen? Look out, world. We've got a generation coming up that we need to feel with that spirit of God and that truth of God. Because, folks, we need it in the times that we're living today. Bow with me just for a moment. Father, we thank you today. Lord, we know you want to speak to us. We know that you have a message for us to hear. We know that we have a relationship that so often in our lives we ignore. But Lord, we know that we know that we know that we know that we got the Spirit of God living within us. And Lord, that you want to fill us with your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And when we do, we'll make a difference in the world that we live in. Thank you, Lord, for your many wonderful blessings. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to share Christ. May we all take advantage of that opportunity every day of our life to share Christ. We love you. We thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.